Hello? Hey, how's it going? All right. Switching back here. All right. So, everything up and running. Everything is up and running. Thanks so much for um, taking the time. This, I think, will be, be very interesting. And I hope you don't mind if I stop with an introduction just in case this ends up going out as a podcast. Generally, I prefer, if possible, right, if it's useful in general, to release it as a podcast. So don't confess to any horrible crimes. Yeah. Anything like that. But, uh, and you'll have a chance to listen to it. And if you don't, if you feel that there's something, you can either ask me to edit it or we can ditch it completely. But uh, uh, that's that's my preference if it's useful to others. So just so you know, I understand. Uh, I, yeah, I guess you could. I've got a lot of benefit from these. So um, if you find it worthwhile, yes, that'd be great. So do you mind if I read the email that uh, you sent me, and then I can ask some questions? Yeah, go ahead. Fantastic. Okay. Hi, Steph. You sex god of the ancients. Oh, sorry. Wait. That was Jason W. Smith. Sorry, that's... Uh, that's uh, I'm just kidding. I'll edit out your name. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, hi, Steph. Um, the donator medallions have affected me far more than any little graphic on a forum website should. When it first came out on Greg only, as far as I knew, I pretty much felt embarrassed for Greg. Never mind that it was a tad gay. <laughs> I think more than a tad. It was just glaring. He was the only one, and the timing of it with the troubles felt atrocious. The troubles being, I assume, the, the board conflict mm-hmm. with regard to Nielsen and so on, right? But I soon tuned it out. I certainly couldn't begrudge you showing some appreciation for a reliable supporter. I was happy with what I'd received in response to my donations. I really thought I was just keeping up podcast rate of 50 cents each, but I got goodies as well, and that was awesome. And just for those who don't know this, for those uh, evil people listening out of sequence, uh, uh, what he means by that is that uh, I certainly do appreciate donations, 50 cents a podcast for the people who, who listen, but uh, also I send uh, novels and, and uh, an audiobook to people who donate, uh, just as a sort of thank you, thank you. Uh, situation. And that's a win-win for me. Obviously, icing on the cake is better for you. And uh, I didn't write these things or record these books to sit on my hard drive. So, uh, But at the same time, for me, I would rather be um, uh, have donations for the podcasts rather than just sell the audio books, right? Uh, so, and, and the books. So that's sort of what he meant by that. And then um, 765 came out. And aside from being blown away by it, thank you to the listener, by the way, it naturally brought the topic to mind again. I remember, and this was the podcast where I was chatting with the gentleman about his feeling of underappreciation with regards to his donation and my response to it. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Thanks. Um, uh, I remember thinking, Peshaw, is that correctly pronounced? Peshaw. There's no need to feel jealous, excluded, etc. Yet I think I was denying a bit of the same feeling myself. Then a few days later, when the first Neil images were appearing, actually, do you have this email? Uh, yes. Uh, the... You know, there's not much point re- me reading your email. Why don't you take it from here? Uh, okay. I was just on the uh, third paragraph, I think, uh, uh, which is uh, then a few days later. I had shut there. off my Firefox, but, oh, brother. Okay, go. I'll keep no, reading no, it. No no, 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 no. I've got it here in two seconds, I'm sure. Okay, no problem. Sent and... It's not like people have uh, heard enough of my voice, so I haven't oh, heard yeah. enough of my voice already, so... And my lovely, shaky, nervous voice will be so entertaining. Don't worry, um, there's only about a thousand listeners. It's nothing. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Look, I mean, it's not like Bill Show or anything, so. No. What is going on? Okay. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yahoo is, you know, deciding now's the time to try 15 additional features at my expense. Okay, so where were we at? 
Didn't uh, seven. Okay. Yeah, then a few days later. Then a few days later, when the first Neil Diamond images were appearing, I was involved in an interesting exchange on a thread with you and Greg and Nate. I'm editing as I go along here. I was enjoying the back and forth and feeling like I was finally participating in this discussion. It was almost a bit of a high. Then you invited Greg and Nate by name to a Skype chat and any others who want to join in, in quotes. And I just crashed. The bottom fell out of my skull. I had a strong physiological response that I'm able to partially dredge up right now, and right now. A surge of sensation down my limbs, increased heart rate, sweating, and I thought, if I hadn't unlearned how to cry, I think I would cry now. As much as I wanted to sit with the emotions for a while, I had clients to see shortly, and I was worried that I wouldn't be able to gather myself in time if I let those feelings flow freely. When I managed to get back to thinking about my response again, I was, it was easy to dredge up the feelings of rejection. I later listened to the Skype conversation that you and, and Greg and uh, Nate, I believe, had, and many of the points I'd raised in the chat were brought up and responded to as if they were brand new. So I thought to myself, are my posts invisible? Do I communicate so poorly? I wondered. What it made me realize is that I was indeed feeling left out or marginalized, much as the listener in 765 described, though I won't say identically so. I looked back at the chat and saw that I was the participant participant who did not have a Neil Diamond decal and wondered if that were it. Do I not contribute enough financially? I didn't really want the medallion, but now that everyone has it, do I look like a hanger-on that isn't contributing? As much as I hate collectivism, the one group I'd dearly love to belong to is an organic one based purely upon mutual voluntary association, and here it is, and I intensely felt rejected by it. Stewing a few more days made me admit that I haven't participated at the level that others have. I have not been remotely as open. I couldn't honestly say that I'd allowed myself to be rejected or accepted by this group. I could not and still cannot see where I fit in all of this. Arg, it's still so bothered by external validation. Sorry, I hate to be a director, yeah. but there wasn't really any passion. I'm that. sorry. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's more accurate. Um, Once more, with feeling. <laughs> no, go Is this method? I'm sorry. When you came out with the $200 uh, line for diamond status, I was further perplexed as I'd hit that long ago. Then I realized that I'd made most of my donations through eGold, and there's the phone that I'm going to ignore, and that might be why you didn't know. So you've changed that, and of course nothing changes for me. I'm pretty damn sure this isn't about donator icons, but they've been a catalyst for me, at least. I'm sorry to interrupt. When you say, so you've changed that, what you mean is that the icon that you wanted is yeah, there now, Well, right? yeah, okay. yeah, you, you updated that glaring omission. And, um, right. But, yeah, of course, that really doesn't change anything for me, which is no surprise. Um, then, so to summarize, proxy embarrassment for Greg, denial of feeling rejected, intensely feeling rejected, intense feelings of confusion, what's going on here? Right. Well, I mean, I really, really appreciate you sending me this email. And the reason that I wanted to talk to you about it is that uh, this is not uncommon. Like, I don't want you to feel crazy. I don't want you to feel like, why is, I mean, unless you have a real fetish for Neil Diamond, why is the absence of a Neil Diamond photo uh, bothering you so much? I know it feels crazy, and I know it feels destabilizing, and I know it feels like a very exaggerated response to a minor stimuli, mm -hmm. but it's perfectly healthy and it's perfectly normal. And there's a lot of this going on at the moment, uh, both uh, in sort of my personal emails and in some of the posts on the board. So I wanted to give a description of what may be occurring for you uh, and then ask you a little bit about your history and this and that and just see if we can sort of make some sense out of what may feel a little bit like a crazy and destabilizing surge of feeling. Does that make sense? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I 
you know, of course, that was my initial response that it was crazy destabilizing. But, you know, with the help, of, again, of, you know, the person at 765, where, you know, clearly I'm thinking I'm not the only one, you know, circling around these kinds of feelings. And and I know I, I remember Greg even kind of showed a little discomfort when he first got those things. So, you know, this whole topic is relevant. I know I'm not totally insane, but, but yes, right, the, str- right. the strong physiological response that I had was, you know, very surprising. Now, if you could uh, indulge me a little bit and tell me a little bit about your own personal history uh, of uh, of recognition. I mean, obviously, you're you're very intelligent and and eloquent, and and uh, your language skills are very high. Your reasoning skills are very high. So, in your childhood, in your family, you had a lot to bring to the table. I mean, parents of any rational demeanor would be very honored and excited and and thrilled to have a child of your abilities in the household. So if you could tell me a little bit about your sort of your personal history with feeling valued and, and validated and uh, recognized so, so that what you bring to the table, because it's not just that you have these abilities. I'm not sort of trying to, trying to praise you here, but I think that's very good reasons. Uh, I think, right, this is my theory, and I sort of want to run some facts past to find out if it's got some, some basis to it. Uh, I mean, not only do you have a lot of intelligence, but, you know, Charles Manson was apparently very intelligent as well, but you have a very good soul, right? I mean, so you have an an enormous amount to bring to the table uh, in terms of uh, your family or your history. What was your experience of the recognition of all of those treasures that you sort of have within your personality when you were growing up? Oh, boy. Um, (laughs) That just doesn't even seem to be something that was on anyone's radar. Um, as I, I bet you it was on your radar. <laughs> it probably was, yes. Um, you know, I, as I mentioned in an Ask a Therapist not too while, not too long back, um, you know, with performance for me, you know, pride for my parents or my mother actually was always just, you know, what are your grades? You know, how how are you shining out in public? Not really um, anything to do with me. <laughs> Right. So the question was: uh, Are you are you adding to our shallow status-based ego gratification? Are you a well-polished ornament? Are you a dog that can play the piano to some degree yeah. more than who are you as an individual? And and we take delight in you, irrespective of what the general standards are of of good ornamentation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was you know the whole you know I don't know living vicariously through me you know or you know I was going to you know go out and become a doctor and, and get rich and come back and take care of my mother and things like that. That's what, you know, my life plan was in, in her eyes. So. Right, right, which, which uses your life and plan uh, in completely opposite context, yeah. right, in a way, because it's not your life and it's not your plan. Exactly. <laughs> and it's not even a plan. It's a, a narcissistic expectation or whatever. But I certainly, I don't want to quibble too much, but I certainly understand what you're saying. And so how did that show up, right, in your life? When you would, I mean, I would imagine somebody of your intelligence, you'd sit and you'd daydream or you'd think about stuff, you'd read about stuff, you'd see a movie, you'd listen to some music, you'd get excited about something. What would happen then when you would feel the impulse to share what gave you joy uh, with your family? Um, often it was, I mean, when I was really young in like elementary school age and things like that, um, that was really encouraged, sharing that information and, and doing that and such. But then it became more, um, you're a know-it-all, or are you just going to sit there and keep your nose in your books or, you know, listen, you know, I remember when I first got my first Walkman, and you know, I wore it around all the time. And say, "Oh, is that how you're going to live now?" And uh, you know, a lot of sniping and 
I'm smart ass. I was a smart ass a lot. Um, uh, got got called that a lot. Um, so and can you re- sorry to interrupt, but can you remember an example of how it was encouraged when you were uh, younger? And you said was it? Would you say up until around the ages, uh, the the grades of sort of five or six or seven? Uh, what, what sort of? What, yeah, where did it begin to? Well, I mean. You know, that's when my parents got divorced or my mom, you know, kicked my dad out type of deal. That's when, you know, everything went to hell. But um, just, you know, my interest, I was very interested in astronomy. And so she got me astronomy gifts and I, you know, she would encourage, you know, me camping out on the back porch and talking about the stars and whatever. Um you know, I don't and remember. did she sit down? I'm, again, I'm sorry to. I just want to make sure I get a complete picture. Mm-hmm. So I really do apologize for interrupting, but um, uh, was it that she would go through the books with you? Did she look through the telescope with you, or did she sort of hand it to you and say, "Well, this, this, if this is what you like, I support it"? No, actually, when we were younger, I mean, you know, she spent a lot of time with me on that stuff. Not that we talk about it in depth, but um, it, it wasn't a dump and run type of situation. But it was almost more like you need to learn this it was almost, there was a pushing aspect to it as well. I mean, yes, these, she did happen to find a couple areas that I was interested in, but there was definitely the fill my brain with factoids kind of approach. I'm Again, just, I'm not, 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 not that personal, not that personal, what are you really interested in? Let's really talk about it. Definitely not that. So she, she wouldn't ask you, what is it that you find thrilling about astronomy? And I went through the same phase. I mean, I loved it. I, bought a, I measured sunspots. I bought a telescope and all that. Uh, and, of course, I loved it because for me it was like uh, – it was great to think that my mind was big enough to conceive of the universe, which was huge. Like it made me feel uh, big and strong and, and knowledgeable and so on. But nobody ever asked me, why do you like it? Yeah, no, that was not asked. Not at all. And do you remember that question when you would – like did anyone – when you bought the Walkman, did, did people say – Tell me what you love about music. Tell me what you love about no, no way. listening. No. And do you remember that question at all uh, where anybody in your childhood would ask you why you liked something? No, no, definitely not that. And do you remember any uh, situations where you tried to explain to somebody when you were a kid why you liked something? No, no, I really don't recall any of that. Um, so you lived a kind of, I mean, you kind of lived like an orbiting lifestyle, right? So you, were, you, were, you had this family that you orbited, like in, in the sort of airless reaches of the upper atmosphere where you were sort of both visible to each other, but there was no real contact in terms of trying to, uh, I mean, it's not your job to try and understand your parents because you're, you're a kid, right? But there were people who said, yes, he's orbiting and look, he's shiny and look, he likes these things and, and so on. But there was no sense of um, uh, the why, right? There was, there was the what, you know, what you like. And your parents could probably rhyme off what you liked. But I'm not really sure, if I understand what you're saying correctly, that they could tell anybody why you liked. Like, what's your, what's your, what motivated you to like these certain things? No, there's no... And, and I know that is true just from, from very young. Um, just knowing that I never had that kind of connection with my parents, even by the age of five. I know that my memory's there. I do not recall any sort of, you know, connective bond with my mother that, or, or my father that I would, you know, share things like that with them. There was nothing like that. Right. Now, when you say share things like this, uh, can you think of other things that you did share with them that would be personal? No. I mean, it just wasn't that... No, I didn't grow up with that kind of life. I mean, I already see how, how different that is with my daughter and I now. I mean, I just... 
didn't get to sit and wonder with my parents and just talk about, you know, things that weren't immediately practical or, you know, on their agenda. No. Right. And of course, I mean, I have, I believe myself that we end up learning about ourselves or being curious about our own motives when other people ask us why we, why we like certain things or why we dislike. I mean, when you ask your children, why do you like this? Why do you not like this? It's not a cross-examination. It's a way of helping the children to understand that they don't just have to surf their own emotions and desires like, you know, like the silver surfer, but they can go in, right? They strap on a scuba gear and go in and find out what is the root cause of these things, which is very, very important, right? Because otherwise, we end up being just dominated by our feelings to the point where we either end up acting out in a hedonistic manner or shutting down our feelings because we don't know where they come from and they feel overwhelming, right? Mm -hmm. So the reason that we ask our kids, why do you feel this? Or tell me why you feel that? Or what excites you about astronomy? What's the feeling? Is so that they can learn to understand their own feelings, right? So that they're they can sort of work with their feelings as, as in a productive partnership rather than either feeling overwhelmed uh, and shutting them down or uh, not being able to figure out the cause, right? And, and I'm, the reason that I'm asking these questions is because there were um, a few statements that you made in your email and in particular the statement that you said, if I had not been uh, forbidden to cry or taught not to cry, I would have cried. Right, so tell me a little bit about, uh, if you don't mind, I mean, I don't want to <laughs> open you right up, but it's up to you. But uh, if you could tell me a little bit about what you meant by that statement, that might help as well. Well, I mean, I, you know, it's it's kind of a a joke, you know, now uh, for a lot of men in general that you know, oh, men don't cry as adults. And I was looking back on my history with crying, and uh, you know, realized that um, it used to be the case that, like, in my I remember during my teenage years, uh, when I was still at home, that any time I would have any sort of argument with my mother, I would start to well up, and she would see this, and then she'd mock me. Oh, you're going to cry now! And oh, uh, is the big boy going to cry yeah, now? Yeah, exactly. And you know, and yet, and now, you know, with my wife, it's kind of a joke that Jason doesn't cry. Oh, you know, and. Uh, well, don't want to open that can of worms, but um, but yeah, it's uh, it's and uh, and I look back, and you know, the only times I remember crying uh, as even a little kid, or you know, in the latency period, as you call it, um, was when I was you know physically hurt in some way, but um, emotionally, yeah, I was trained to stifle that pretty you know pretty regularly, pretty early on, pretty viciously. Right. I mean, and for a lot of men, like there are two acceptable situations where you can cry. One is the death of a parent and the other is if you actually have like bones sticking out of your flesh or something. <laughs> yes. That's that's sort of allowed. Like if you're if you're dying or somebody has just died, that's possible. Uh, but you have to cry in a manly way, like a frozen-faced marine single tear trickling down <laughs> the cheek as, as the uh, taps plays in the middle distance with bagpipes and stuff. You're allowed that kind of stuff, yeah, right? But yeah. you're not allowed to have the full-on toddler blubber, right? Exactly. I mean, exactly. We have family <laughs> now, dog, want... too. Right, right. Family dog, absolutely. Um, I think, I mean, just to correct you on one minor thing, uh, I would say that uh, you said that you don't want to open up this can of worms, and I certainly do understand that as an impulse, but I think that you do, right, because you sent the email to me, right? And again, I'm not trying to sort of say that you're being manipulated by your unconscious, but I think that you at least want to have the freedom to, to be able to feel emotion to that depth, right? I mean, oh, there's yes. nothing wrong with tears. Tears can be very powerful and uh, that kind of sadness can be very instructive. And there's, to me at least, a kind of beauty 
in that kind of uh, grief. Right? Grief is a very powerful and helpful emotion. So I think that probably what uh, is happening uh, just in this immediate instance is that uh, you do want to be able to reclaim that because you don't want to continue to be emotionally crippled by your mother's hostility and sadism of many years past, right? I mean, because that really lets her win, right? And and we should we should do everything we in her power not to let uh, bad people win, right? So if your mother did this horrible stuff, which is really, really unbelievably destructive, right? To mock a child for crying. The British phrase is, oh, here come the waterworks, mm-hmm. right? So <laughs> right. So when, when people inhibit our capacity to feel deeply by attacking our feelings, I mean, they really are sending us out r- r- crippled and rudderless into the world, right? And of course, you've achieved an enormous amount entirely to your credit. But I think that, and this may be, uh, how old is your daughter, if you don't mind me asking? She's uh, four and a half, almost five. Right, four and a half, almost five. So I would guess that what is coming up for you is something like this, that uh, in combination with the conversation that you're listening to in these podcasts with the fact that your daughter is reaching an age where uh, – the, the reaching the age that you were when things began to turn in your family. I mean nobody chastises a baby for crying. I mean, I guess they do, but I mean, the baby doesn't care, right? Well, I mean, they, and they, actually, they, I would say that, yeah, I mean, I still think that this stuff with my family happened even earlier than, than five years old. I mean, and I, I did things, you know, raising our daughter now that I, you know, were certainly not done when, you know, my parents were with me. Oh, uh, what do you mean? Well, um, my mom was of the variety that uh, I didn't want to breastfeed because I didn't want you to, you know, get dependent on me. Um, you had to cry it out through the night rather than, you know, in your own room from the get-go rather than be comforted regularly, things like that. Um, you may have seen other people on the board mention attachment parenting, but it's just a kind of a, a, acknowledging that your child's attempts at communication are valid pretty much from the get-go. Right, for sure, for sure. But I would imagine that the verbal component of it, because until four and a half, it's it's or sort of four or so, it's kind of tough to be verbally attacked when you're a kid. It's just bewildering. Mm-hmm. But your reasoning and, and language skills are developing to that point where you can begin to be truly manipulated. And so it, it's a possibility that part of this is coming up, both because of Certainly. Uh, the stimulus from the show and also because your daughter may be. It's possible, right? I'm just, I ended up getting, uh, breaking up from a long-term relationship that wasn't productive uh, at 32, which was the same age my father was when he left my mom. Like, they do tend to be these kinds of parallels in life, and I don't want to put too much stock in it. It's nothing mystical. It's just the unconscious uh, working its way through. So to turn, was there anything else that you wanted to, to add about that or anything that we missed? Oh, I, I, w- I might other say than, that you Other can, than everything, right? Well, I might, I might chime in that you, you can verbally abuse children even I would say from two to three years old. I mean, I've I've just even noticed in my you know I've I've had to unlearn a lot of just even sarcasm, the cruelty of sarcasm to children that are you know not old enough to understand it. It's very confusing and I think it's debilitating. And uh, and just the small manipulations that you can do with language, even before children, like you're saying at four and five, where they really get what what's called the theory of mind, where they really understand the full power of language, um, I still think they can be you know, pretty severely hurt by it. I, that's I, I fully that. agree, and thank you for pointing that out. I think that's, that's an excellent point. I wasn't clear at all. What I meant was that um, 
you can yell at a child. You can even scream at a baby and the baby's going to be terrified. I mean, there's, I mean, I don't mean to say that the children live in this biosphere of immunity until that age. But I think at the age of four or so, you can begin to make the child uh, attack himself, right? So you can attack the child verbally and the child at that point has an ego strength enough to internalize it and attack himself. Right, there's a reason that they don't send the kids to Sunday school before the age of five or so because they won't get the whole Jesus died for your sins and, and original sin and, and so on, right? You can't get children to attack themselves. Like they can't internalize that attack mechanism until they reach a certain age. So yes, I mean I think that's that's an excellent point and I'm sorry. That and I can, I yeah, I can see your point as well. It's almost more of a, a individuation and self awareness or ability to self attack, like you said. Okay. Yeah, you have to differentiate yourself from others before others can stimulate to you to attack yourself. Exactly. And that's why a lot of the stuff occurs at that, that age. Exactly. So um, I'll put forward a minor theory and, and you can let me know what you think because I'm noticing a lot of this stuff, which I consider to be enormously great, right, that, that's occurring. Um, the question is, um, well, there's a couple of questions when these kinds of feelings come up, right? The, the question is always, why now? And the, uh, the other question is always, why with this person, right? Now, obviously, <clears throat> vulnerability with your parents uh, is a suicide mission, right? I mean, this is just a way to go uh, go in and get yourself punched in the gut repeatedly, right? I mean, there's no uh, – with, with having eaten a, f- a whole pizza, right? <laughs> it's like <laughs> with your parents, vulnerability and saying, I'm upset by something you did. Is, is a suicide mission to, to – and I don't mean that even in that overdramatic a sense, right? Like, I mean, it would be like jumping off a cliff voluntarily. Emotionally, is that reasonable oh, or is that too strong? absolutely. I mean, especially with respect to my mother. Not so much with my father, but definitely with my mother. Now, with your mother, do you feel vulnerable and don't express it, or do you not feel vulnerable at all when you're with her and have no desire to express it? Oh, I'm not at all with my mother at all anymore. My mom's very similar to yours, and I mean – the histories are, are frighteningly similar. Um, she, I don't even know where she is now. She has fallen off the face of the earth. So, um, oh, good for you. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, it's really, you know, yes, it's it's. I kind of defood in stages without your guidance, and so <laughs> it's been prolonged. Right. Um, no, good for you. I mean, in particular for your own mental health and the the the, the health of your marriage, but most particularly. Um, you have taken uh, a toxic element and a highly toxic element uh, out of your your child's life, right? I mean, that's that's the good for you. It's obviously you, but uh, your child is is a million times going to be a million times happier and healthier because of this. Um, so, okay, now when you are in situations with somebody where a vulnerability may occur, as did occur with the board stuff and the the uh, the donation levels uh, logos, do you feel that experience in other areas of your life and don't express it, or do you not feel was this a surprise and like came out of nowhere in a sense for you? I don't get myself in that kind of situation very often anymore, uh, if ever. Um, with my wife, I will tend to shy away, though I've been trying to work on letting that out more. Um, right, like pushing it out more. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, grab, the, grab the chains and... Uh, right, yank. get the boat hook. We're going to wrestle some feeling yeah. out here. Right? Yeah. Tow trucks. Um, right. <laughs> so, right. so, yes, I mean, that's... You know, high anxiety usually comes up, and that's what you know, I've been able to, to work on some degree is, yeah, actually letting that out and not letting my, you know, my assumed responses of the other person, the attacks, or 
just even hurting their feelings necessarily so much, just still at least letting myself let that out. And how hard an email was this to write? Um, oh, I can write them all day. It's uh, hitting the post button that seems to be the difficult part. So, um, You're not a lawyer, are you? I was just checking because, uh, you know, the hair splitting. No, I mean, what I mean is to yeah, send you exactly, right. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, just terribly painful. I mean, yeah, a year ago, I wouldn't even have written it, let alone yeah, sent it. So, Right, right. Well, I mean, I think it's magnificent. Honestly, I know how horribly difficult that is and what a nail-biting experience that is and how you are really uh, voluntarily with no shielding approaching the furnace of your first punishments, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and voluntarily feeling like, great, I get to throw myself in the oven. So I know that it's a really, really hard thing to do. And I certainly do appreciate that you did it. And I think, you know, I think one of the things that's uh, occurring in the community, and I certainly don't mean to indicate, like sort of throw you into the general soup, right? I mean, you're your, the specifics with which you communicated are fantastic, and it's uh, more than uh, a lot of people are doing. But uh, I think that what's happening is that uh, when uh, now that people have had a longer-term relationship with me and with the board as a whole, but we'll just talk about me for the moment because I'm the one who's getting uh, the, this kind of stuff uh, uh, thrown at me, which is, again, I don't mean this in any negative way. I yeah. think it's great. But um, uh, I think that you felt that it was it was very uh, stressful to write and to send the email, but I think that you would have been very surprised if I had written back to you and said, "Oh, stop being such a whiner, you know, suck it up, you know i sent you I sent you novels like, yeah, so the <laughs> yeah. logos like like you know you said well it's more you say, oh, I've more than got the money out of the podcast, and I've got all these novels, and now you're whining about a logo and blah blah like if I had to send a response like that back to you what how would you have been surprised oh yes and i mean that i told myself that before it's like why why don't i just send this damn thing you know what's the worst thing that Steph's going to do you know not respond i mean and i know that you're not even going to do that so um or if know, i do it's, it's not going to be because i don't care i just yeah. will have forgotten or you know 50 other emails have come oh, yeah. in in the hour since or whatever it, it's a PC so okay crash. so that right <laughs> right so um so it is because i was not or have not acted in a manner similar to you just say your mother because we don't we we, we don't have time to get into your dad but um because i don't act in a manner that is similar to your mother that you were able to uh, communicate what you felt to me yeah precisely i mean just like you know the listener in number 765 exactly right right now on the plus side, right, I mean, and this is not an insignificant plus, right, so, I mean, you should really, I think, take this as a badge of honor. On the plus side, you said, this is what I feel, which is fantastic, right? That's a, a level of self-observation that is very sophisticated, and you should not take that lightly. That is enormously powerful, because uh, some of the stuff that I get is, uh, you know, Steph, you bastard, you didn't give me a logo. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff, right? I didn't want to be a logo. Right, right, right. So, I mean, you have an observing ego to the point where you say, well, the feelings are out of whack with, you know, so I'm going to tell Steph how I feel, but not act out how I feel, you know, because Steph is making me feel anxious or, or, or uh, weepy or whatever. I'm not mm -hmm. going to act it out as if Steph is, you know, hitting me with a poker or something like that. So that, that is fantastic, right? I mean, and, and if I got more of those, that would be great. But one thing that I found that is very interesting is that when you have 
I mean, let's just talk, talk about two basic relationships, one of which is very important in your life, the other which is pretty tangential. The important one in your history is your mom, and the tangential one is, is with me or with the podcast or whatever you want to call it. Now, you were able to express uh, anxiety, uh, stress, uh, the, the feelings that you were feeling. You were able to express those to me, but you weren't, and wisely not, you would not express those to your mom, is that, that's fair to say, right? Yeah, at least not until the raging, uh, you know, late teenage years when I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. So, and I was large. Right, and then you wouldn't be vulnerable; you'd be angry, right? Exactly. Right, right. So the interesting thing, of course, is that when you have, and, and when you have a healthy, healthier, let's just say, well, you know, let's be honest, when you have a healthy relationship in your life, like like your ability to to email me, that healthier that healthy relationship has a lot of um, stress and tension that it evokes, right? Because it's, it's a difference. It's a huge difference from what came before. So whenever we have negative experiences with our parents, as children, we tend to do two things, right? We universalize them and we internalize them. Now, both of those are contradictory, but we're kids. We're just trying to survive, right? So we universalize them like everyone does this. And we internalize it like if I were better, this wouldn't be happening. I mean, those are the two most common responses. I was much more towards the universalization than I was towards the internalization, but it usually happens at, at some level in both relationships. So then when a healthy relationship comes along, then what happens is that um, all of the uh, assumptions, right, all of the assumptions that have been universalized and internalized based on our prior relationships end up being provoked by the healthy relationship, if that makes any sense. Yeah, just total dissonance there. I mean, I, I guess you don't right, want to say... Right, which, which, which reawakens all of the feelings that occurred within the, uh, the earlier relationship, which we have repressed because there was no way of changing it, and we were kids, and we weren't going to get away, and we couldn't fight, and we had no power. So we repress all those feelings. And the reason that I think it's so important to talk about, and this is not in particular to you, who I think did the right thing in, in emailing me, but what... what what I'm concerned about with, with people as a whole is that when they come across something like this conversation, um, it's like they have a virus in them that attacks healthy tissue. It's like cancer, right? Well, actually, cancer doesn't really attack it. I think it just it swells or it reproduces. But my concern is that, and this is where the fulcrum, is, I think, is in personal growth that is really challenging, which is that... When people begin to have healthy relationships in their life, their tendency is to act out the dysfunctional relationships in the realm of the healthy relationships, which when they're suppressed and don't have any – and I'm not saying you don't have any. I'm just like talking in general, right? But when those bad relationships and the effects thereof are suppressed, then they don't, uh, they don't end up acting out that sort of stuff because it's just totally repressed. I mean, there's something kind of elemental that's missing, right, which is probably what your wife nags you about from time to time, but they don't tend to act out that stuff. But when a healthy relationship comes along, it provokes a lot of almost anxiety and hostility and tension, and that gets channeled into the healthy relationship, right? So, And that's the weird thing when, when you're on the receiving end of this. It's weird because you know that people are expressing negative things to you because you're healthy. Yeah, exactly, and that, because you're a positive. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but because I'm not going to attack back, 
right? People will act out hostility towards me or whatever, right? Now, again, you weren't acting out, so I wanted to talk about you in particular because this to me seems like a very positive and healthy thing to do and healthy way to to approach it, which is to say to the person, right? Because, you know, I always say that the first virtue is honesty. And the reason that I wanted to talk about this email with you personally is because, I mean, that was an amazingly honest email, like magnificently, like, like visible from space, glowing, honest email, because you said, I'm feeling these things. You know, I know that it's not rational, but here's what, what triggered it and blah, blah, blah. And all of that is perfectly honest, right? The Steph, you bastard, you didn't give me a donation icon (laughs) is also honest in a way, but it's acting out, right? Uh, And so I'm sort of concerned, and I wanted to sort of highlight this, and I'll stop talking in a sec, but I wanted to highlight this for people just to say that when you have a healthy relationship coming into your life, and I think, I mean, I really do think that uh, just because of my own experience with therapy, my abilities as a psychologist and a philosopher, and, uh, you know, Christina, who watches my back and keeps me well counseled, um, I think we have a radiantly healthy potential here as a community and as a relationship, right, which, which hopefully will spread uh, through your kid, through your wife, and through other things that you do in your life. So it's not even like people are getting from a dysfunctional relationship to a slightly less dysfunctional relationship. Like this is a night and day contrast, I think, for a lot of people. And I think that a lot of people are going to feel that impulse to attack the healthy relationship because they know that because of the health in this relationship from my side, they're not going to get attacked back. And the great temptation then is to unload all of the anxiety and stress and frustration and anger and terror and so on on the healthy person because you know they're not going to attack back. And that's a really dangerous moment. And I'm not saying that you were on that line, but I just wanted to point it out for people as a whole. That's a really dangerous moment, right? Because that's what your parents did with you, right? Yes. They had someone who couldn't fight back, who wouldn't. I won't fight back because I'm not. You know, I'm not going to do that, right? I'm not going to let myself, although it's tempting, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I'm not going to let myself do that because that's not what I've committed to with my life. Right? I want to sort of make things uh, better in the world. And, you know, th- as I said on the board, philosophy is about learning that there are far better ways to fight fire than with fire. But when you are in the situation with somebody who's engaged with you, who's not going to fight back, right, either because they're a kid and they're totally dependent on you or because they're, you know, virtuous and trying to act with integrity and aren't going to fight back, it's almost supercharged, right? Like the, all of the frustrations and problems from prior relationships end up rolling down that channel towards the new, healthier relationship. Mm-hmm. And I say healthier because we're both adults, right? I mean, if I was uh, your kid and you were not as smart and self-aware as you are, right, then uh, the, uh, the innocence or the, the lack of ability to fight back that I was feeling, you would end up acting out right? Some of the hostility and some of the negativity and some of the fear and, right? So I just sort of wanted to point out that when a healthy relationship comes into your life, and again, I'm not characterizing your, all of your relationships, which I don't know, but for most people, when we've had difficult past, a healthy relationship comes into our life. The great temptation is to, to sort of push all of the uh, old bad feelings. And it happens involuntarily, as you know. As you're, not, you're not sitting there going, hmm, I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to take this Neil Diamond thing and blow it into a supernova, blah, blah, blah. It just kind of seizes you, right? And it just kind of takes you over. And I want people to be aware of that just so that they understand what's happening, why all of these intense feelings come up when they encounter a healthy and, and positive relationship. Does that, does that ring true or make any sense to you, or is that totally sky? Well, that, sky that's exactly what I was asking at the end of the podcast. I mean, you know, not even, you know, like I said, the, I was feeling embarrassment for Greg. I was, you know, denying 
feelings. I was feeling a lot of strong things. And yeah, why is this happening? That was my, you know, I, I sat with the feelings long enough. I, I thought about them long enough to think, okay, well, I know this is not Steph, you know, attacking me or this, you know, all, you know, all this silly donation labeling stuff is not about me, but yet I'm having this strong reaction. What is this about? And, uh, yeah, that was my question, and that that does make sense. Um, that you know, you're going to be a vent for all of these feelings that we've not been allowed to feel. Um, you are going to naturally right, because... kind of attract that, draw that negative out, just because now we can finally. I find you safe to let that out with. For sure, for sure. I mean, and so what happens is there is a part of you, right? There's there's, there's a part of us that gets frozen in time when we encounter significant opposition to our true selves which we all do endlessly when we're kids and, and sadly all too often when we're adults as well. So, you know, we grow, right? We, we grow, we grow. But when we encounter a significant opposition to our natural selves, right? This is the catalyst. Of, this is the, the projector of the false self, right? We create this false self which says that I'm going to obey my parents because they have power and then I'm going to pre- pretend that I'm obeying virtue in a universal way, right? That's, that's what a parents demand, right? Parents don't want us to obey them because they have power, because that makes them feel like bullies, right? So they don't want to feel like bullies because they are bullies, right? So they don't want to feel like bullies because then they wouldn't be bullies. They'd feel bad about it. So parents want us to obey them uh, and they, they threaten us with power, with disapproval, with hostility, with negativity, with physical or emotional or verbal attacks or whatever. And they but – they, so they, but they want us to obey them because – they are virtuous, right? So they, they say, well, I'm just a messenger of virtue. But the reality is that, that we, we obey them because they scare us. I mean, that's... It's like <laughs> a lot of the, the line out of Mommy Dearest. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, when you said Mommy Dearest, I, I wanted you to mean it or something like that. I don't know. It's frightening scene. Yeah, like when I, yeah, that's right. That's right. So they, they want us to, to respect them as agents of virtue, but they bully us with uh, the weapons of, of, uh, of aggression and, and humiliation and so on. Um, I, I know that for myself, right, when I, when I would actively try to uh, evade uh, my mom or when I would look at her with sort of terror or whatever, right, that's when the attacks would redouble, right, because she would be looking in a mirror, right? She would be looking in a mirror, and it's sort of hard for your conscience to kind of miss that your child is like scrambling away from you and trying to hide mm-hmm. under a table or whatever, right? So when, when somebody is, is kind of evil <laughs> that way, the, the, what makes them the most enraged is for somebody to say, uh, I am terrified of you. Now, there may be certain, I don't know, because I didn't have a dad, like the macho guys who are like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I am that big and strong, or blah, 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 right? But, but certainly for moms in particular, right, they, they don't want to look in that mirror and say, my child is genuinely terrified, right? Because, of course, they were genuinely terrified as children and they repressed it and so it comes out again when they attack their, their kids and so on. And so that is where... Uh, you know, we, we get stuck, right? Because there's a fundamental lie that we have to live and have to believe, right? You can't fake it. You have to believe it, which is that, um, you know, my, my parents are uh, mere representatives of some deeper or higher principle. That's what they, they, they demand that we believe that. I mean, they, they just otherwise they'd be completely insane, right? Nobody wants to say, I relish my evil, right? <laughs> they always want to say, well, my, I'm trying to make my kid good. I'm trying to be a good parent and I have to beat them. I have to beat my kid because my kid is going to otherwise turn out to be bad and I'm going to be a bad parent. Right? So everybody puts on this armor of virtue at all times. And so we get totally stuck in this lie 
which is that we're actually just terrified, but we have to believe that it's virtue, right? So we get thrown in prison, but we have to believe that it's justice, not just an evil prison guard, but justice is a principle that, that ends up with us in prison. So I think that principle uh, stays frozen within us, right, until we encounter a different methodology, like a different way of dealing with things and, and with doing things. So how did you feel on the podcast where, I don't know if you've heard any of the ones where, where I was very emotional or weepy or anything like that? Um, well, those were, you know, pretty powerful ones. Um, the, the one I recall, you leaving your job of some sort, um, you know, and I, of course, I just had a whole bunch of theories about what you were being weepy about, um, but... Yeah, I mean, that was not something I'm used to seeing, obviously, in a man of my age. Um, and so that was eye-opening as well. You know, I've been obviously thinking about the crying thing quite a bit uh, for the past few months. So, For sure, for sure. Now, what were your feelings, though, when, when I was crying? And obviously there was like you couldn't see below the steering wheel that I had diapers on or anything. So what was, <laughs> what was your feeling? That, I don't do uh, videos that... anyway, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> quite wise. Although at that one, I think it was the Humiliation Podcast, I think that may be worthwhile you having a look at just because you might as well, you know, put your face right in the fire, right, as far as seeing the visual as well as the, um, uh, as hearing it. But uh, when when you did hear me uh, weeping, what what was your uh, experience of that? Oh, boy. Um, I don't remember feeling embarrassed or, I mean, I certainly wasn't mocking I do you want me to was, cry now? Like, yeah, we can turn do it, it on, please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, just like, you know, wow, he's really feeling something very intense here. Well, actually, probably what I felt, and, and I've had this before, is like, why don't I feel like that? Why don't I, and boy, that's dredging up a memory from, I don't know, about 10 years ago, where I was listening to a song by the Waterboys, and I almost broke down crying just on a car ride with my wife. It's like, why don't I feel like this guy feels in the song? Why can I never feel like that? And that would be probably, you know, gosh, this guy's just leaving a job that, you know, he doesn't like that much. <laughs> um, you know, he's having, you know, these really strong emotions, and yet they seem wholly appropriate. Why do I not feel that? I guess that's, I feel like I'm missing out on something there. And Did I, you, and, and do you, sorry, go ahead. No, please. Well, do you, um, uh, do you genuinely not know why you don't feel that? Like when you say, uh, why don't I feel that? I mean, is that something that, I mean, maybe 10 years ago you didn't. When that occurs for you now, do you know uh, why you don't feel those things? Oh, certainly. I mean, I, I know that I, I don't, I'm not allowed to feel those things. I mean, that I, like I said, I unlearned how to cry. Um, I, you know, those things were squashed in me from for a long time. And I'm, you know, just now really, trying to get back in touch with them. And, uh, you know, I mean, unfortunately, the only feelings I had been feeling were, you know, the rage. Uh, that was what I would sure. feel. And, sure. of course, even when you feel rage, you feel guilty about feeling rage, and then you try to suppress that. So I've been not doing that. <laughs> and it's, you know, there's been progress in that area where um, I say, oh, wow, why is this little thing enraging me? And, oh, okay, well, there's, you know, I would, in the, in the Ask a Therapist, I'd, I'd mentioned being ignored was, it's all part and parcel. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess if, if I was to answer that question right now, that's why I, I don't feel those things or, or did not. 
Right, and I, I would I would take a minor quibble with the use of the phrase uh, that you unlearned how to cry. Is that was that the phrase well, that you yeah, used? Well, yeah, that's the phrase I used. So I'll take correction. Right, and that is a very civilized phrase, <laughs> right? Um, but you were brutalized for crying. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to sort of. I know yeah. it sounds maybe sounds like an exaggeration, but uh, when we are very vulnerable and we are crying and so on. Um, to to attack someone at that state is it, it creates an, an enormous amount of scar tissue, right? Uh, it is an enormous amount of scar tissue that is created, uh, especially of course in the somewhat testosterone laced culture that we live in, where you know men are supposed to suck it up and be soldiers and blow up. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it really was you, you were you were numbed through brutalization. I mean, that's sort of the phrase that I would work with because I think if you say unlearned, you know, like it's sort of like, well, I was sort of scolded for crying and so I sort of tried to avoid it. But I think if you understand uh, the depth, I mean, obviously you're a person of great passion, right? Otherwise you wouldn't miss it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't miss my math ability because I don't have it, right? <laughs> so I don't feel like there's this big gaping hole where my math degree should be. But uh, obviously you have the capacity for great uh, and passionate and powerful feeling, which is not true of everyone. We all have, I mean, this is not, I don't think it's, it's uh, universally true. Uh, we all have passions to certain degrees, but uh, you must uh, and do, right? But because it was attacked so strongly and because you feel that something is missing, right? So you know deep down that you have the capacity for great and rich and deep feeling, uh, which which you're missing, right? Which would make your life much more rich. So the first thing that I would do if I were you, and there's no switch, right? And sadly, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's no switch that, that turns us back on, but... The first thing that I would do if I were you is to uh, really recognize and respect the brutality of the attacks that, that occurred to you. And the verbal attacks from, the, um, from moms, I mean, they're poison, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, uh, in general, without, I mean, women do have an ability, and some men have it too, but women in particular, I found, have an ability to just say the stuff that, you know, it's like an arrow straight through the heart, right? I mean, there's just, there's an exquisite verbal uh, uh, sadism that... I've experienced more from women, and it's just because of dating, right? That's just sort of my... But I've not experienced it quite as much from men, but it certainly does happen from men, where, you know, they just... It just it's like a laser precision arrow that goes straight through you, and that is incredibly destructive. Because if, if you weren't really uh, um, brutalized, right, then, in a sense, you're just cowardly, if that, if that sort of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, if it was... If the stimulus that, that kind of... Uh, undercut your capacity to feel was not very strong, then either your capacity to feel was not very strong, or you kind of gave up without a fight. But I would submit that, given the depth of your feeling and of your intelligence, that you did not give up without a fight, that you were vanquished by, you know, 10,000 warriors, and that it was something that was extraordinarily and persistently and repetitively brutal on you. And I think if you that eases a certain amount of tension, or at least it did for me when I understood that, because it meant that, you know, it took 10,000 men to bring me down, right? So clearly there's a lot of strength in me, and there was a lot of brutality that was poured on me for that. Does that, does that make any sense? Yeah, that, yeah, that is uh, definitely a more direct way of, of stating what happened. Right, and that there's a reason why uh, you put it in a more civilized manner, which is it, it helps you to avoid... Uh, the, the the feelings, right? The feelings of, of the agony. I mean, and it is agony when you're in pain, right? It's like if you've just had a tooth pulled out and somebody jabs a needle into the gum. I mean, Ow. that's really bad, right? <laughs> I mean, when you're already vulnerable, when you're already crying and emotional and, and you need 
uh, somebody to to be there and tell you everything's okay. When they then take that opportunity to twist the knife in, I mean, that's like it's like somebody stamping on your the cast that's on your leg, right? I mean, that is incredibly uh, brutal and sadistic, and that was what gave you this aversion. But the aversion was as the result of the worst conceivable torture, right? I mean, I think that, I, again, I know it sounds exaggerated, but I think that if you get just how for 20 years of your life or, you know, longer, if you stayed in touch with your mom longer, that whenever you were emotional, you were brutalized by somebody who had historic power over you of near godlike proportions, right? We can never resist our parents. It is completely impossible to resist the power that our parents have over us until our dying day. We will because you can't you, you just can't shake twenty years of first impressions and you can't undo the effects of being under the power of somebody to that degree and we'll never be under anybody's power again to that same degree in our life right so it's an extraordinary immense <clears throat> fathomless disparity of power and if we were brutalized when we were helpless for that long you can never undo uh, that kind of power uh, over you. And so I think if you recognize the incredible danger that, that you were in and the enormous amount of, of sadism and, and brutality that was inflicted upon you, then I think it can help you to understand a little bit more, not that something is missing from you, right, but that something was nearly killed in you, nearly, right? And that, yeah. that, letter, is, that letter is the nearly, right? Because if you'd acted out, then it would be like, well, you can't come back, right? But the letter that you sent me was the nearly, and that's, I mean, amazing. But I think if you have more respect for the pressure and brutality that you experienced, the hostility and the power differential that you experienced, I think that um, you can have, uh, obviously, more sympathy uh, for yourself. But um, uh, I think then the anger is not going to be just frustration that you feel that something's missing. But, you know, if the bullet uh, (laughs) takes off your earlobe, you can go, holy crap, like three inches to the right, <laughs> I would have been dead. And then the fear that you feel afterwards makes a lot more sense, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to have to listen to that last part again. But, I mean, you know, that's stuff that has been rolling through the broadcast for quite some time. But, yeah, internalizing that and really uh, applying it is, uh, yeah, another matter. Right, and that's one of the reasons why uh, the donation stuff is happening now. And one of the reasons why the donation stuff is happening now is that, um, I mean, obviously it is a little nerve-wracking for some people to get public uh, acknowledgement of their generosity, right? And it is generosity. I know that I put out a great podcast that's unique and blah, blah, blah. But uh, it is uh, not the easiest thing in the world to shove some money over the internet to some guy, right? I mean, it's not always the easiest thing in the world. I fully recognize that. But I think that, I mean, there's two reasons for me, just in case you're interested why I wanted to do this stuff now, is obviously there's a DRO theory about, around social pressure, which I was curious about, right? Mm-hmm. Whether or not when people's donations were made public or not, um, whether that would affect people's donations behavior, right? And, and I, I agree with you, 200 is a low cutoff for some of the extraordinary generosity that I've had, but uh, I didn't want to put in, you know, I had, a, I had a, a logo of Aristotle's bust and philosopher God was going to be for those who'd given even more. But I wanted to talk, I wanted to send an email out to people ahead of time just to make sure I didn't really freak them out too, too much. Um, so there was that aspect. There's also a full disclosure aspect, right, because there was a lot of conflict uh, on the board. And uh, 
I wanted to to make it clear to the people who were donating, like the, the people who were donating were the people I was supporting, right? So that there, nobody could say, well, you were hiding that or anything like that. So I wanted that to be clear to people, right? So that if they wanted to accuse me of bias, they could do so with full knowledge of, you know, I also, <laughs> the fact that Niels never gave me a penny after saying that my podcast had made him weep with joy for a year and a half. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. That was, it's not inconsequential, right? Yeah, that was shocking to learn. I mean, but then then not so shocking. Right, right. They're not so shocking, but I, I wanted um, I wanted people to to, um, to to get public positive acknowledgement. Right, that's that's not easy for for us. Right, it's not easy for people who have great intelligence and sensitivity who've been brutalized in the past. Public acknowledgement was always really risky, right? Unless it was merely ornamental, you know, like, yeah. hey, mom, I won the science fair prize or whatever. Well, that's great, honey. I'll put it up here on the mantelpiece <laughs> yeah. and then never actually ask you what you did, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm more interested in the ribbon than I am in my son's intellectual Precisely. progress, right? Precisely. So, yeah, we're really not so used I wanted, to this. Right, right. And, and I felt that now because we've when, – when was the last time we did economics, right? I mean, we've been talking about a lot of uh, highly personal and highly um, uh, sensitive stuff. And I felt that now was the right time to to give people public acknowledgement because in the past, public acknowledgement was either you get attacked for it, right, for whatever reason, right, and some parents are jealous or whatever, or it's even more frustrating because you get praised for the wrong thing, mm-hmm. right? You get praised yeah. for the wrong thing. I remember when I was, uh, I don't know, about 14 or 15, I took a course in computers. Um, that was, I think, a first. it was like a high school course or something like that. I was 13 or so. And it turned out it was like how to read and write blocks of data to a floppy disk. And I basically spent the time in the back programming games and never graduated. But my mother would like fixated on this, right? My son is taking adult courses in computer science, blah, blah, blah. And she didn't have any clue what I was doing, why I liked it, why I liked the computers, what was good. She just didn't care, but she really liked So even that level of acknowledgement was actually more annoying to me than not because it was seized on for all the wrong reasons mm-hmm. and something that I treasured at a personal level was used as a medal of honor for somebody I really despised. Exactly. So I got a really yeah. complicated relationship to that. So public acknowledgement is still something that I'm working on, but I felt that it was sort of time to to do that on the board so that people could get a little bit more used to it because we need to have that pride, I think. I mean, if we're going to go out, for those who are interested in that, and try and really make a difference in the world, Positive acknowledgement is something that we need to we need to be proud of of what it is that we're doing and what it is that we've done. So I mean, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to put it out now. Yeah, yeah I, I knew there was some connection to with uh, with how I'd you know experienced what was called praise in the past. You know, praise for basically obeying me or you know meeting my my parents' needs, which always felt, of course, really wretched. So uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, well that's great. Um, do you feel that there's um, – oh, I guess how do you feel that this level of explanation has gone? Obviously, we can't do the whole topic, but no. do you feel that this has, has sort of um, given you some framework to, to work with this uh, this feeling or this, this reaction? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I need to, you know, I need to get back in, in therapy again and really, I guess, find someone that either knows how to do it or, or really force the issue of, of going back and really re-experiencing – those uh, those brutalizing moments, I guess, um, to really understand. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say. I mean, the, 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 I've I've yet to to finish planning the how to do it stuff, right? Because mm-hmm. I've given a lot. Of, I've thrown a lot out there about stuff that's wrong, and I mean, at a political level, I've said, you know, here's how a free society will work, which is great. Uh, won't won't be anything we'll experience, but it's great for the next couple of generations. But 
Uh, what I haven't done, and I'll just give you a brief taste of it now, what I haven't done is to how, you know, how do you reclaim this stuff, right? How do you get back? I would say that um, uh, the, the mental journey, at least the one that worked for me, is that it's important to go back and re-experiencing it. But of course, who knows what that means? Right? Yeah. If I say to you, yeah, go back crazy. and re-experience it, it's like, that's great. Do I take a blue pill and jump in a time machine? Or what the hell are you talking about, BCF? What the hell are you talking about? So, I need um, to go find my race car shirt and my uh, right. you know, Legos. <laughs> right. You or... get, right. Or you, you get in the, what is it, the Calvin and Hobbes tra- transmogrifier yeah, and go we. back. and <laughs> I've come with a stuffed tiger to save you. Um, I think that the... Um, uh, everyone has a different way of doing it. And for me, it was writing. I would write dialogues and so on and try and re-experience it that way. But the key thing is that you don't want to regress, right? You don't want to go back and re-experience the trauma. I mean, just to use highly metaphorical language, for which I apologize. And also, I'm sure I get lots of emails from engineers but saying that this metaphor isn't correct as a decimal place. <laughs> but, um, Forget your abacus. Uh, right. You have, to, you have to go back and um, re-experience the trauma, but not re-inflict the trauma. And, and what I mean by that is that it's worth sort of sitting down and uh, thinking about your childhood with your adult self present in the memory, if this makes any. And again, this is yeah. really, you know, who knows, right? This could be like smoke three joints and it's all better. But, um, but <laughs> what I mean it. is that you don't, you don't want to go back just as a child and re-experience, because that's just re-traumatizing. Yourself. And I, I wouldn't even know how to do that, frankly. I mean, that would be very odd. To well, I, I would say that you do. Uh, you know, you you get the kids out, you get the pictures of yourself out as a kid, and you just oh, you just sit back and think about yourself from your earliest memory forward, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you certainly don't have a lack. You, you don't remember. It's not like you don't remember anything that happened before you were eighteen, right? I mean, you remember all of this stuff, and you go back and and you just sort of remember. I mean, yeah. really, the future is just about remembering, right? Changing the future is just about honestly remembering the past so that you can change. Right? You have to, you have to know where you've come from in order to change your direction, right? Because you may be going in the right direction, and you don't need to change it, but it's really about going back and um, thinking about your past and remembering, right? I mean, remembering. You, you can picture your mom's voice. In fact, earlier in this conversation, you did a fantastic imitation. I, I got a total picture of your mom from like one, one phrase imitation of your mom, right? So you can totally picture your mom's voice. You can totally picture your reaction to it. But you don't want to go back and regress to the point where in your mind's eye – you are eight getting yelled at because that's just a reinflection of the experience. You want to have your adult self back in the room while you're being traumatized, right? So that you can uh, either, uh, you know, intervene or uh, at least afterwards comfort and say, you know, she's a, a bad person. You're not a bad, you know, that kind of stuff, yeah. right? But you have to go back to the parts of you that are frozen in time with the knowledge and abilities that you have in the present and not because you can't alter the past, but you can um, uh, unlock the uh, sort of thaw out the assumptions that you naturally and logically made based on the stimuli that you have. Because now you have all of the adult knowledge and wisdom and freedom, right? So you 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 don't want to go back and re-experience, just re-inflict, but to go back with your adult self and observe the fear that you experienced originally, along with the knowledge that you have as an adult. I think the fusion of those two things together. Uh, thaws us out of some of the frozen attitudes that we have in the past. Yeah, and I that's very interesting. You mentioned the pictures. I just did that uh, night before last. Went back and was looking through, you know, the family albums, trying to uh, trying to say what did I feel back then. You know, where back to the memories where I or back to the age I don't really recall anything. And um, right, yeah. So I need to do that and sit with that a bit more. Okay. Well, I mean, obviously, I mean, therapy can help with that, um, but there's some stuff that we can definitely uh, we can definitely do on our own. 
And, uh, you know, feel free to bore people, right? I mean, your wife will be happy to talk about this with you, I'm sure, right? She sounds like a great person. And your wife will be happy to talk about this stuff with you. And we always, I always feel like when I talk about my own past, like, well, I don't want to bore you. But, but actually the stuff that happened to us that's very personal is not boring to other people, right? They want to know us. They want to understand us, right? Mm-hmm. They want to know what makes us tick. And, of course, they want to help us as well. So, um, you know, take the time to... Uh, talk about this with with your wife and so on, and I'm sure she'll be she'll be very interested. Yeah, I, I got to give her that chance, don't I? <laughs> well, I think so. I mean, you know, you want to you want to have as rich and deep a marriage as possible, right? Yeah. And uh, uh, you know, feel feel free to you know to bore her. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure I've never done that before. Um, <laughs> right, right, absolutely. Well, thank you, Steph. Well, I, I'm glad that it helped. I mean, at least I hope it helped. Ha- have a listen to it and let me know if you feel that it's okay. I'll, I'll edit your, your name out, oh, uh, Sally. I mean, I'm, and, I'm certainly uh, – <laughs> I, I can give you my uh, like, go-ahead now. That's, I'm fine with that. I, I don't and think do you I want me to take your name out or should I leave it? Um, you can leave it. That's fine. I don't think there's okay. anything too incriminating okay, there. So. Okay, and uh, do, do, do let me know. You know. Keep me posted, right? I mean, as, as you go forward in this journey. I know it seems kind of incomprehensible about how to start, but once you do find – and the key is different for everyone, but once you do find the key, it could be a smell. It could be a ball that you see, a Canadian tire or whatever that you feel that you want to buy. It could be anything that's the key back to unlocking this and moving forward, but uh, you keep looking. You'll definitely find it. All right. I will do so. Well, thanks so much. I really do appreciate this. And uh, again, a magnificent letter. I mean, that's a Hall of Famer. And uh, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to uh, post that as well uh, on the board. It's up to you, of course. Oh, yeah, that's fine as well. Okay, well, thanks so much. And keep me posted, eh? And thank you. All right, I will. Take care. Bye-bye.